I have a, a suspicion this movie is like part of the uh, Kazam, Berenstein Bears, like Mandela effect. And I think this is like the quintessential horror movie in a parallel universe that, that we just were bequeathed this movie on the Saturday the 14th. It was never supposed to happen. It just happened. Just to, it just appeared in this universe. No one knows why. No one knows how. And that's that's how we have this movie. But somewhere on like Earth 52 is by far it's the best movie. It like it's won awards. It's all it's all of it. All the shit. That's a very interesting <laughs> take. And I'm kind of concerned that you're behind the wheel while being in this mindset. He's not actually behind the wheel. Oh, I'm driving. I'm smoking a gravity bomb. <laughs> Alright, uh, hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Bloodsucking Geeks podcast. Today is November 8, 2020, and I'm Chris, one of the hosts of the Bloodsucking Geeks podcast, and joining me this week is Corey and Cody. How's it going, what? guys? What? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So, you know, we finally wrapped up Halloween, guys. Like, how how was everyone's Halloween? I think uh, this is our first post-Halloween show. How did, it, how did it all go? Oh, man, for us, it was good. We did uh, we did kind of an Easter egg hunt, but uh, with treats in our backyard for the boys. So, uh, you know, it was something different, but the wife came up with the idea. It turned out pretty well. And then uh, we watched um, a bunch of scary movies, but, I mean, that's not limited to halloween time so yeah it was cool that's awesome cody how about you man i, I dressed up like rick from rick and morty and went to starbucks <laughs> and everyone shit their pants like i got to this giant rick head and i went in there and i was just like ah i'm gonna take a shit and they were all mad uh, but so like why why yeah. you should start just recording this shit man and have someone <laughs> have your wife record this while you're doing all this stuff so like uh Halloween was weird as fuck because my neighborhood, there was no consensus on whether or not the kids were going to trick or treat. And I was like, fuck, I don't want to get candy because I want to eat it, you know? <laughs> so we, we ended up watching this movie called Ready or Not. And it's like... That movie first, is awesome. Dude, when I first saw this preview, I was kind of like, nah. And then I, I thought it was just going to be this cheesy kind of like, oh, hunt them down type of movie. But it's honestly on my top three movies where people are put in a situation where they have to fight their way out and they have their, they don't know, like the, they're surviving the game basically. What's your, okay. Out of that list, what's your number five? Uh, so number five is surviving the game. Okay. okay. <laughs> uh, I'm going to put, I'm going to put number four as uh, ready or not. Okay. Number, number three is the hunt. Number two, I'm, I'm undecided, but number one is green room. It's the ultimate movie about a good people one. being stuck in a place and being haunted, hunted and whether or not it's supernatural or it's white supremacist or whatever, that movie made me sweat myself. I fucking sweat myself <laughs> in the theater. No, no, in a, in a movie plane. I was in a movie plane, a theater. No, I was in an airplane watching a movie pre before it came out because it was like pre-movie. But anyway, back to Ready or Not, I fucking loved it. And there was like this beautiful little supernatural twist at the end that I really wish there was yeah. a little bit more of. But aside from that, all the, the characters are great because there's no real main actor that you're like latching on to you only recognize one dude from the oc and yeah and, and everyone else is just top notch but to me it's like it's better than the hunt for so many reasons but i just love like you know I, I wish there was a series that was like ready or not the series so we could see all the previous marriage nights and all, from the family and like all the other cards that got drawn and what mr labelle like is all about i'd like to see well, a, a prequel set in the time of mr labelle that'd be fucking awesome Anything that, that we get more Samara weaving, because she's like, in my opinion, the reigning screen uh, screen queen right now. Oh, I mean, yeah, she's okay. in so many awesome movies. Dude, she, you know, her uncle is the fucking is Agent Smith, straight up. You go weaving. Is her uncle, like it's on the real. That makes sense. I assume, given the name, uh, Cody. I wanted to just uh, point out though that I, I do have a problem with your your list there. Um, because you're you're leaving out the pest by John Leguizamo, which oh I think is, uh, oh, damn. is, you're right. is very important to, to, to keep on there. Well, I think you also left out Judgment Night. Ooh. Oh, well, that's what yeah. that's where I was going next is that the, Jeremy Piven's death scream when he falls still in my <laughs> head, still in my head 30 years later. 
I mean, like, no matter what. And I quote Dennis Leary on, like, the regular because I'm like, oh, did you really did you really have to do that? Because I don't have to check my pants. I know my dick is there. Like, that's like he's, like, kind of rating uh, Emilio Estevez. He's just like, yeah, I'm the type of guy I don't have to check every five minutes to see my dick is still there. I know it is. <laughs> I do that movie. That movie is the ultimate allegory for like socioeconomic diversity in the inner city, and and if you look at it now, it's the it's like an actual future, uh, like an homage. Basically, what is that thing when people predict the future? It's like a Nostradamic type of prediction, like futurology. Future. Yeah, it's like they essentially futurology. They essentially futurologized Chicago with this movie, like uh, Judgment Night. Which oh, but let me top that off. Demon Knight, another fucking classic. Yep. And Billy Zane has one of the best goddamn one-liners ever. Hold up, hold up, hold down, motherfuckers. And he's, like, so mad that these rednecks have been, like, kind of in his way this whole night that he, like, starts doing a hoedown, like, at, at, at random. Like, ad-libbing a hoedown. Like, seriously. That's, I think, when you need to question some life choices when you're ad-libbing. You find yourself ad-libbing hoedowns. I'm here uh, to tell you, though, Billy Zane is a fucking G. He came yeah. on set. He came on set. He called the director Babe, and he just started directing. <laughs> he was like, "Sure thing, Babe," and he was like, "Okay, I think we probably need to start from over here." And it, it happened. We did what he said. Well, you saw you saw this happen. Like you saw yeah. Yeah, man. I was the PA on this movie, and it was like, a, a you know, guys show up, and I'm just like, "Oh, fuck, it's Billy Zane," and then he's like calling the director Babe, and I was just like, "Bruh." <laughs> I mean, it, and I don't think the movie, I mean, it's, it's called, oh, shit, uh, it's one of those where they, like, change the name, uh, I think, so good night, Lane, good, 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 goodbye, Lane, anyway, he's in it, Texas, independent film, cool. it's where, Texas, where you can, any actor you can buy for $55,000, you can have them in your movie, and they'll, they'll come out for a week, and they'll mumble the whole time, and then they'll leave, it'll be great, <laughs> well, I'll see what we, Sean Patrick Flannery, <laughs> I was just going to say, we ended up uh, trick-or-treating around in, in our neighborhood, uh, and it was awesome because people, a lot of people were outside. They had, uh, you know, like little fire pits going, and they had, like, little stands where kids could come up and just grab, you know, like a little bag of, you know, candy or whatever. It actually seemed uh, a lot better in some ways than how you typically just kind of go and knock on people's doors because people were outside playing music and stuff. It felt more livelier uh, yeah. than just kind of walking down a, a dark street, going to you know weird people's homes uh, and asking for candy. Uh, the so only I, problem is I think that would make it more difficult to do some of the uh, vandalism that yeah, some I, people would find, I, I find enjoyment. I find part of the Christmas, or I'm sorry, Halloween spirit, because Christmas vandalizing also a thing we do, but yes. part of the Halloween vandalizing comes with that, like, the cover of darkness and all of the kids being about, you're sort of, like, anonymous <laughs> in that way. This year it was weird. I was like, I definitely can't, like, drop kick, drop kick some little SpongeBob and steal all his Reese's, you know. I would say, though, too, it opens up some possibilities of tacking, like, the, the rear of their houses, too, because it's left unguarded because they're in the front, so we can just fuck up their backyard. Yep. Steal their dogs and, like, put them in, a, like, a neighbor's yard, for, like, a couple miles down the road or something. Just, just shave the dog's butts, put <laughs> all the hair in a pie, give it a pie to their grandma. Oh, man. Um, <laughs> Corey, uh, what what have you been watching? I know Cody was just talking about what he's been watching lately. Uh, what, what have you been watching? I've been on a uh, foreign kick. Uh, I watched a bunch of Italian movies, um, some Lucio Fulci. Oh, yeah. But the one, uh, the couple that I watched the last couple of nights is Indonesian uh, called um, Satan's Slave. And... Um, Satan's Slave, and the first one came out in 81, and apparently it was just this huge deal for Indonesian horror cinema, and it's pretty creepy, and uh, a lot of it, I can see, I'm not sure if it was necessarily stolen from, but like uh, Salem's Lot, Phantasm, there's a bunch of stuff in um, Satan's Slave that is like perfectly mirrored in those movies, like in... um, Salem's Lot, when the boy's outside the window, it's pretty creepy looking. They have a scene almost exactly like that. 
And then uh, last night I started watching the remake from 2017. This on Shudder, and it was uh, really like legit creepy. Like if you want to watch a movie that will kind of give you some creeps, check out uh, the new Satan Slave on uh, Shudder. Oh, that's good because, uh, like I was saying, that my wife likes more serious horror and stuff, so it sounds like something that she might be be into. Yeah, I mean, if you can get into the subtitles and stuff, because for me, I have to kind of wait until, you know, that mood just strikes me right. But then once I'm in it, then it's pretty easy. But it is subtitled, so you got to deal with that. Well. Oh, there's no dub? (laughs) Maybe the blood sucking gets to do the dub. The English dub will be every character. I am am very (laughs) pro-dub over sub. I will say that, especially when it comes Look, to anime. It my do, my thing is, I, I get a lot of shit for that too because I I, I don't I'm not a bit, I want to read the subtitles, but the translation is always different, so the subtext is different. Mm-hmm. I would much rather just hear a, a, a like a, an actor just kind of like just butcher it than see the, <laughs> the, the 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 subtitles. And my prime example for saying that is One Punch Man because. The show in Japanese is great, but when you hear the actual English voice actors, it, it brings it to this next level of like almost sitcom, like schmarmery that like it's just it's wild, like how good it is. Hmm. So well, saying. fucking like as far as dubbing goes, obviously the Italians are like the king of bad dubbing because you, know it. <laughs> you watch even the westerns and a bunch of their horror movies. It is. The other person was speaking English because they would have such a diverse cast from all these different countries in Europe and America that they just would dub regardless of the language. Even if they were dubbing English to English, they would still dub. Are you serious? <laughs> yeah. That's no, so weird. Those Italians it's, love dubbing. Here's the weird thing about that. I wonder if they like dub production. So, like, uh, dub stuff is for pussies. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, that's a great joke <laughs> in Deadpool 2. So, like, so he asks Cable, that says, is Dubstep still a thing? And he says, Dubstep is for pussies. Well, that's a shout-out to the director and guy that shot John Wick, because he's also the same stunt coordinator and all this shit. Anyway, it's, like, it's a really deep-seated joke. But either way, I like a good dub, because it's, like, the holy grail of, of like, cinema sound was pretty much made by Star Wars, like, which is all overdub and ADR. But as a sound mixer for production that makes movies like hearing that or seeing that is like kills my soul because I can just tell, I can just tell like the microphone is wrong. The distance is wrong. The mouth is off, but you know, it's like those old movies suffered so bad from their location sound and just the technology of the era that they had to dub it. And I really think it held back a lot of brilliant movies that if they had had great production sound, these horror movies like these Italian movies would be fucking beyond classics because people would be like, Whoa, did you hear how great this was? But instead, it's like you kind of hear these people in a box that just sound like a radio station. You know, that's why, like, some of those greatest older movies, like, you're like, how do they get such great, like, performances out of these people after the fact? Because they didn't usually record the dubs until it's it's picture locked. So you perform it as the actor, and then you maybe get to go back and do it in your voice, like, six months later. Are you still in the same character or headspace? Hell no. You know, you might have oh, wow, another yeah. role. Like, there's a lot of, it, like, if you, when you hear a bad ADR, you can spot it, and it's just like, oh, man, I wonder if it was, like, looks like Virginia Madsen just got off the red eye. Like, no wonder we can hear it in her voice. <laughs> you know, like. <laughs> well, I don't know. I think just the bad dubbing is part of the charm of, like, the really shitty Italian movies from the 70s, 80s, the 90s, even. Just, that's, like, even... I associate the bad dubbing in the same way I associate like the bright neon red paint colored blood they the have blood, yeah, in the like the West blood. Yeah. It's just, I, think, I, I think mean, you're right. it adds to the schlock, you know, it definitely like provides that sort of like platform to be like, yes, this is our, this is our way. Yeah. And like I said, they would do it regardless of the language. They would, they were dubbed. That's so funny. I think that is like a comedy. I think that's like some weird like European like uh, humor that we don't get over here. That like they're like, look, we're just gonna do it. Oh, they did it. They said it in English. No, let's just redub it in English. Like, <laughs> you know. So, 
Uh, I, we should probably talk about what we're uh, what movie we we decided to watch this week, and this was oh. Cody's turn to uh, to pick the movie. So Cody, I'm going to let you do the honors, sir. Oh man! So when I was a kid, I only owned one horror movie, and that movie was called Saturday the Fourteenth. And <laughs> oh my god, this movie this movie rises to levels of absurdity that are so awesomely bad. <laughs> when I was a kid, I used to like it. Actually, scared me on the real, but it's like, man, it gets. It, it, if you think it gets bad on Friday the Thirteenth, it gets worse on Saturday the Fourteenth. It's almost but, like if the people that did Power Rangers decided to make a horror movie, this is what would happen. This is like the uh, the Easy Bake Oven like instructions of like, okay, <laughs> yeah. we need we need an ominous opening with a vampire so that, that turns out to be actually a good guy, and it's like. I mean, and the, I just love it with the kid. You know, I mean, we're not. I'm not going to even say anything about the movie because I want people to watch it. I really do. I think that it's just, this is a rite of passage type of movie because it it spoofs movies that it doesn't realize it's spoofing. It spoofs the Twilight Zone. <laughs> it spoofs the original monster movies. Bela Lugosi, the 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 uh, what's the fucking Black Lagoon monster creature guy? All of them are in there. All, yep. and all, all these other even weirder creatures that were probably like knockoffs that didn't make it from like TV pilots. And they were like, Oh, we'll take that for Saturday the 14th. Like the weird eye monster that like is following the kid. <laughs> but I mean, like they move into this inherited from like this like weird aunt that left people like, you know, old library books and shit. As a, like, they were a overdue. Move. And, and I just love the fact that the kid gets there, finds the book of evil. And like, <laughs> it's literally in the frame, dude. I like I shit laughed the second they opened this fucking thing. But anyway, as a kid, as a kid, I remember like seeing it, and I don't know why, but I kept this tape. I kept this tape, and my parents like paid late fees on it, and then eventually had to buy it. And I'm pretty sure it cost forty or fifty dollars for them to like replace it in the like late '80s, early '90s. What, what uh, rental store was this? But Do you it remember? was like it wasn't the Crowley places. It was like. Uh, it was like a Burleson place that we went to, okay. like, and we never went back to kind of thing. It was like, oh, no. Nope. <laughs> you would steal from the place in Burleson, but be cool with the place in Crowley. No, no, no. Yeah, don't, you don't shit where you eat. You learn that. <laughs> That's the De Niro thing. Uh, the heat's coming around the corner. You just got to, you know. <laughs> But, yeah, so Saturday the 14th. So I used to watch this movie, like, all the time because I was like, oh, here's, here's a scary movie. It's scary. But... It, it's not scary. It's terrible, and it's like horrible. It's, and, it, and, and it's like it's so awesomely bad that I used to think that I was getting scared by these moments, and then now that I look back on it, I'm like, oh no, I was just like, I was like playing this Pavlovian uh, psychosis of like hearing a scream or hearing a sound effect and reacting to it like in my in anxiety and like you know blood pressure in ways. I mean, like, like, but seriously though, if if anyone watches this movie and you get to the climax where there's the battle between Van Helsing. And Jeffrey Tambor, because uh, I'm not, I don't, I'm not even going to say Jeffrey Tambor's character's name because I don't remember it. I'm just going to say when you get to this, when you get to that part, it's the best battle in the history of of bad horror. Like they use every trick in the book. I mean, they oh man, it's like a sound effect battle. It's <laughs> so bad. Like Michael but, Winslow's involved in this. But dude, I I like, but I don't know why. Yeah, I had it. This is the movie, and when I when I saw the VHS last week because I I threw it in as an Easter egg on one of the promos, I was like, this has to be the movie we do. Because this movie is light years ahead of its time. When it comes to, like, scary movie or any kind of Leslie Nielsen-esque uh, Naked Gun-style spoof of horror films, you know, obviously scary movie is holy grail. But Saturday the 14th paved the way for movies like Scary Movie to make these jokes and to parody other movies just with reckless abandon. Well, I, I would think be interested. I want to know, like, how this movie even got made. Like, exactly. who, why, why? I am you know, like, this movie is a send-off. This is a this is a Mandela effect from another parallel universe that has bumped into ours. And the reason there's no copies of Kazam, the the the, the movie with, uh, I'm sorry, Shazam with Sinbad, is because all those copies, when we bumped up against that other universe, got turned into Saturday the 14th. Which is the I do I do believe something with with that because I remember Sinbad. Bro. I'm going to tell you, I know for a fact I've seen Sinbad do, like, the little head shake and the nod, yes. like, he was eye-dreaming of Genie and shit, and there was, like, a promo with Taco Bell at the time, I, I, I mean, bro, I had the lamp, I don't know, 
but February 14th is what usurped that movie. And when the two parallel, when the universes could just bump together, all the copies of that movie just turned into Saturday the 14th. So we've actually kind of been blessed by this classic horror movie from another, from another universe, another universe that will never know, like, you know, the masters, like, and like, even the late masters, like, you know, like the, 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 the like the, the movies that we're watching now, like these, this other universe will never feel the, the, that sort of fright. They'll just only ever laugh when they're scared. <laughs> just nervously laugh. Like, uh, is, this, is this scary? Uh, this man is driving a car right now while having these well, thoughts. I just want y'all to know that. Well, me, me and my wife watch Kajillionaire, which is this new Miranda July movie. And there's like this like almost sex scene in that movie that gave me like the creepy laughs, like the creepy nervous laugh. Like, uh, like is this, this is happening? Okay. I mean, I, I want to see the girl from that, uh, the show where it's like, um, what's the CW show where the girl's pregnant, but she's not pregnant. It's Gina Rodriguez. Anyway, well, she's in Jane the movie. Virgin. Yeah. Yeah. Jane, the Virgin is about to have, like, why did you like, guys know this? I oh, do. Jane, the Virgin God. is one of the finest, like one of the finest ever. So <laughs> she, uh, she's in it and Evan Rachel Wood and her like kind of hop for each other. And then the, the old dude, the dad from Step Brothers, like tries to have a sex scene with Jane. The oh, Virgin. No. And, and, you're, oh, and as it's happening, oh. you're like, Oh, okay. uh, but you know you want to see Jane the Virgin naked as hard as you can, but you don't want to see Richard Jenkins's dog. Pray love. Speak for yourself. And, and so no, you know, no, but, no one wants and, that. But, and no. I, I should have I should have prefaced this this with a spoiler alert because someone out there is going to watch Cajillionaire and be like, what the fuck? But I don't know if I would recommend the movie per se because and and also someone can slap me because I paid twenty goddamn dollars to watch this movie on on demand. Wow. But that was it was worth it. But like it's such a weird movie because you're like, oh, it's a con artist movie. It's a heist movie. But it's like the heist movie that Morty's writing during the episode of Rick and Morty where Rick is uh, it's like, you know, the you son of a bitch. I'm in. It's best. It's the best episode of season four. <laughs> uh, but so like it's it basically that movie, Cajillionaire, is the heist movie that, that Morty was writing. And there's the most awkward sex scene to the point where we're almost sex scene to the point where I was nervously laughing like. Uh, is this is this scary? <laughs> uh. <laughs> well, let's let's get into this movie, um, Corey. <laughs> I'm, I'm I want I'm interested in seeing like what kind of research and uh, information you've been able to kind of dig up on on this one. Um, yeah. What can you What can you tell us about this? So there, this is one of those that uh, I mean it was made by Julie Corman, Roger Corman's wife. So uh, it's one of those movies like they every single fucking movie they did this pure exploitation they just wanted to put something out there it took three weeks to shoot um there's really not much there uh everyone involved in it is all corman people so uh you know it was cheap and quick and they just put it out there to capitalize on the movies of the time because and it's uh, all one location yeah like Friday the 13th, uh, part two had come out earlier in that year, like in April of 1981. This came out October 30th. Um, part one, obviously already come out. So that's where they, they're getting the title from, but they also, uh, these like parodies were a big thing right then because right then in the early eighties, that's when all these slasher movies were getting really big. And there were movies like wacko pandemonium, which was actually titled Thursday, the 12th. But then they really? had to change it because they didn't want to get confused with Saturday the 14th. And then student bodies. Class- they should have kept it. Week. It's a they would have been like, we're first. They would have been like, we're first, bitch. Yeah. It's Thursday. Okay, like, we're no, we're coming to you, actually. Must see TV. <laughs> we were here before you. <laughs> yeah. No, so um, this was kind of like a big thing. And... Uh, so the guy that made it, that wrote and directed it, Howard Cohen, he uh, was the graduate of the Chicago Institute of Design. He uh, previously worked as the party joke editor for Playboy in the late 60s. <laughs> editor for the party joke section? Dude, that was... That, that was <laughs> yeah, my microphone so much sense for all the... Dude, the fucking quips in this make so much sense now. Wow. No, no, but think about how cool of a fucking job that would be. Party joke editor at Playboy in the late 60s. That would be the best. Yeah. Yeah, yeah 100%. I, That'd I, be amazing. Why would you get another job? Why would I, you not I, keep this job forever? I assume 
that that's probably the first job to go once the cuts start <laughs> happening. <laughs> like, wait, we have an that's editor a license. That's a license. We have someone for that? Fuck that guy. That's well, now there's no <laughs> But yeah, so uh, he actually he died early. He died uh, back in '99 at the age of 53 of a uh, heart attack. Uh, Howard oh, Cohen. Uh, so he got to start with movies. Um, he, he's mostly a writer. Uh, he started off with great features such as the Young Nurses, Cover Girl Models, Vampire Hookers, all in the '70s. So I mean, those are some classy flicks right there. Oh yeah. And of course, there's some I mean, were done. He with was qualified. Corman. Yeah, I mean, some were done with Corman, but they're all low budget uh, exploitation type movies. And this was his directorial debut. He also wrote the screenplay, like I said. Uh, he went on to write and direct uh, the sequel, Series the 14th Strikes Back, ni- back, uh, back in 1988. And he also was uh, the writer for the Death Stalker series, which launched the career of uh, Lana Clarkson, who got real big with this stuff, Death Stalker, Barbarian Queen, and she's the lady that Phil Spector fucking murdered. Holy shit. Yeah, so... This well, got dark real quick. Well, yeah, you knew it was going to get dark. It's, <laughs> it's not fucking Care Bears, which right. there's a Care Bear tie-in later on I'll talk about. Hopefully uh, we have a Jim Varney one as well. <laughs> so he uh, wrote Deathstalker in 83, Deathstalker and the Warriors from Hell in 88, and then Deathstalker 4, Match of the Titans, which he also directed. And he wrote Barbarian Queen, Barbarian Queen 2, The Empress Strikes Back. So, uh, pretty cool movies. And then, in from 1985 to 1986, he t- took a break from all this fantastic stuff. And he decided he was going to approach a different genre. And he worked as a writer for the Care Bears and Rainbow Bright TV series. What? From 85 to 86. Okay, you got to be a special kind of messed up. Hold, hold the fucking phone. Hold the fuck up. We need to go back and we need to dive into those the dialogue and the writing of those shows because we may have <laughs> he may have fucked some children's like he may have he That's may have saying. been raping some cerebellums from distant 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 <laughs> lands. So this guy Howard Cohen, party <laughs> joke editor at Playboy, writes vampire hookers, the Death Stalker series, the Barbarian Queen series. And then episodes of Care Bears and Rainbow Bright. That's insane. No wonder he died at 53. What else the fuck could he do? Go and dig up his backyard because I think there's some dead bodies. (laughs) All right. And then um, producer on this was uh, Julie Corman, Roger Corman's wife. Uh, They got married back in 1970. So, I mean, she's been doing this for a long time. She even started her own company, Trinity Pictures, and. 1984 to focus on making uh, family movies. Hmm. But before that, she did a series of naughty nurse movies, such as Night Call Nurses, The Young Nurses, and Candy Stripe Nurses. And then uh, naughty teacher movies, The Student Teachers and Summer School Teachers. Then she produced Sarah the 14th and its sequel, Sarah the 14th Strikes Back, along with Chopping Mall, The Nest, Brain Brain Dead, Sorority House Massacre 2, and another horror parody, uh, Silence of the Hams, which is fantastic if y'all haven't seen it. (laughs) I've not seen it. Oh, my God. You're missing out. And then uh, we were talking about this earlier on this week, uh, the young adult book Hatchet, and she actually produced the film adaptation of it, A Cry in the Wild, in 1990. And then wow. this is what's interesting. So you have a cry in the wild in 1990. Then you have why white wolves, a cry in the wild Two, 1993, the sequel to that. So a cry in the wild Two, white wolves, and then white wolves Two: legend of the wild 1996. <laughs> so I'm not sure if that's the third in the series or the second. Dude, she of rode the- that wave. Yeah, she rode that wave. And, and also, I don't know if you guys noticed this, but the little brother, it's like the dickhead brother that's wearing the fishing vest from uh, Honey, I Shrink the Kids. He's fucking Hatchet in the Hatchet TV movie, Cry the Wolf. No shit. That's him, bro. Well, there you go. The little, the little, the little brother. Well, not, but not then the, after she was, did like uh, the other brother. Once she got that family shit out of her system, she went on to produce Sharktopus, Dino Shark, Sharktopus versus Terracuda, 
Sharktopus versus Werewolf, and then Death Race 2050. So got back to her roots. I, that's what I was gonna say. Is like I love how how horror people they start off at horror and then they try to go off to do something else. And I assume and I wonder if that's mainly just to try to I guess um, legitimize their career. Um, you know, amongst like filmmakers and, you know, in the film circles. Um, and then they seemingly always come back to horror eventually, you know? Well, yeah. Re- I mean, <clears throat> like with Corman, so many of the directors they use, and we've talked about this before on the podcast, went on to become like huge movie makers, like James Cameron, Jonathan Demi, all these people. And that's because, you know, they were hiring people that were brand new, but were really good at what they did so they could get in there make a movie super quick and then be done with it and uh not go over budget not go over schedule and lots of these people go on to make great things but um i think we even see with people like uh peter jackson and sam raimi they always want to come back to the stuff that they started doing because that's what they enjoy yeah yeah that's awesome yeah so uh this movie is the classic story of the family is going to say that inherits a house, but unfortunately uh, another couple has her on the house. Uh, Waldemar, who is played <laughs> by Jeffrey Tambor, who's a Dracula type character and his wife. I love um, it. This is Jeffrey Tambor before he had done anything. He had been some TV shows before. I mean, this is 1981. He didn't hit big until uh, the Larry Sanders show in 1992 as Hank Kingsley. And then, of course, Arrested Development and Transparent. But the first thing I ever saw him in was uh, the Mel Brooks movie Life Stinks in 1991. Yeah, uh, I, then, I always remember him just playing like kind of like just different bit characters in movies and things like that. I, I, I always remember him, but... I never remember him as like a lead actor in anything that I had seen. Yeah. He, I mean, he's just your typical uh, character actor, just, yeah, you know, yeah. working actor in Hollywood, but you know, paying the bills. But this uh, was cool. I'm just me. Like this was a, a kind of a neat uh, thing to see because he's more, way more center stage in this movie than what I've seen from him in the past is what I was getting at. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so, you're led to believe that, you know, this vampire couple wants this house. And they're going to try to get these this nice new family out of there. And um, what they're after, actually, is called the Book of Evil, which, um, dun, as dun, we dun. have seen in so many movies, going back to the Evil Dead, even if there is a book that you should not open and read, of course, it's going to be open and read. So uh, the young boy in the family gets the book of evil, opens it, and it even, you know, calls out the title of the movie, Saturday the 14th. And as he turns the pages, all the monsters on the pages disappear, but then materialize somewhere inside or outside the house to start uh, their hijinks. I I had a question about this. So if he had just opened the one page... And the one monster materialized, and he didn't flip open any more pages and just shut the book. Would it have just been the one monster that they could have just like shot and killed? It would have been over with. Like it wouldn't have been that bad. But yet he just kept flipping pages like an idiot, and like more and more monsters kept materializing. But if he had just shut the book like right away, it wouldn't have been that big a deal, right? Uh, sure. God damn it. <laughs> you Waldemar didn't clarify that in the bylaws no no okay thank you Cody coming in with some some (laughs) voice reason over here I got nothing on this one (laughs) Uh, anyway but yeah then from there I mean you can kind of see where it goes so you have this you know normal couple and their family living in a house that's now overrun with every kind of monster you can think of um, the effects are actually pretty decent because, you know, anyone associated with the Cormans, they're going to be good with special effects. So, uh, it's better than it probably should be on a movie like this. And, um, you have a series of, you know, vignettes basically where the family's terrorized by these monsters. Uh, one that comes to mind is when the daughter is in the bathtub 
and you see the gill man's head going all <laughs> around like a shark's dorsal thing. So bad. so bad. And of course, when she starts fighting this creature, she's in this bubble bath and the bubbles uh, covering her breasts do not move. I mean, I don't like know how they did wrong. that. I would love to, I would love a, like a behind the scenes documentary to, to have been done. Um, because I would love to see how they did that because you're right. Those bubbles, man, they were, they were holding on for they dear life. And I was, I was really worried. Like I, I didn't, I didn't know if they were actually going to go there. Um, and do like the pretty scene. young. Yeah. Yeah. I know. And then later on, I'm like, okay, it's showing her in her underwear. Like, I don't think they would do that if she's <laughs> that young. Right. And so it's, it's really weird. Um, and then that whole bath scene, that's just, that was really disturbing. What, yeah. what disturbs me is that her and the little brother have the same exact voice. So it was hard to find any sort of attraction <laughs> to her. Cause it's just like, Oh, like it's the same, t- like, like notes, their voice make both make the same notes to me. Yeah. <laughs> what it, I want to know is a very high pitch. Uh, the, uh, John, the, the father in this movie, I can't remember who the actor is. Richard Benjamin. Why? He's just like, he, the, every line, it's like he's shouting his lines. It's like, he's not talking. He's like, I'm talking really loud. Like he's just talking and yelling through most of his lines. This movie, I thought it was really weird. Well, that (laughs) might be one of the reasons why this is one of the last movies he acted in because he went on. Seriously, but he went on to fucking direct, and he directed some movies that you definitely have heard of, including The Money Pit, what? Uh, My Stepmother is an Alien, Mermaids, Made in America, Whoopi Goldberg and Ted Danson, Milk Money with Melanie Griffith, Marcy X with Lisa Kudrow. Milk Wait, Money, that's the that same Richard have like some weird like pedophilia type yeah, I was stuff like the kids trying to save up their money to get Melanie Griffith who's a prostitute to show her her boobs yeah. but I think that the twist was that she's his real mom and that's why it's so hot <laughs> <laughs> that's why there was such controversy or in the south controversy <laughs> cunt I put the cunt in controversy because I eat my country fried steaks with a little picante sauce, but when I stop at the container store, I don't do my continuity reports until I listen to continuity and western music. How long have you been sitting on that bit? Oh, man, I perform that about uh, continuously once or twice a week. <laughs> he just adds, like, little bits to it as he goes along. He picks yeah. up here and there on the road. Yeah, no, there's, there's particulates and contaminants in that particular bit. <laughs> Oh, but yeah, man. he uh, Richard Benjamin previously had been uh, Westworld, the Michael Crichton movie, and uh, Love at First Bite, the vampire movie with George Hamilton, and even hosted Saturday Night Live in 1979. Wow, I so, would not big dick it. boy. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, he was actually married to Paula Prentice, who plays his wife in the fucking movie. They uh, had met in college in 1961, and um, she actually had quite a career because she got discovered while in college. Wait, so he's wait, doing Paul all Princess, this. Like, who the fuck is that? The lady that plays his <laughs> wife in the fucking movie. No, I know, I know. <laughs> God, okay, all right. Tell me, tell me about uh, Major, the old pest control guy, because he looks like a real life fucking Popeye. Um, no data. I got dude, dude that guy, that guy he was so like bad. He looks like one of the yeah, guys. You know what happened though? It's it it wounded at the other place. That guy was awesome, dude. I want to, I need to, we need to seek him out and do his story, bro. Yeah, he looks like one of the elves from Harry Potter. The ones that's like Paul the- Mousy Gardner is his name. Mousy. Also known you- as the grand old man of Vaudeville, according to his IMDb <laughs> Really? Do y'all think that maybe he was in Wizard of Oz? He's one of those little kids? Holy shit, he was actually one of the original Stooges, it looks like. What? No. Yeah, I'm looking at... uh, His page actually says, also known as the Grand Old Man of Vaudeville, he was the legendary comedian musician and a true national treasure. He was literally the final performing headliner from the glory days of Vaudeville and the last surviving member 
of comedian Ted Healy Stooges. This guy is like film like royalty right here. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah, this is I thought that was he was like some shopkeep that they bought lumber from or something. <laughs> and they were like, This guy should probably be in the movie as the pest control guy, right? And then he just got cast like on the spot. I didn't know he was like an old well, hand. Because right, like in like in, in Chainsaw Two, you know, like the guy that worked like the little like uh, dude all store. Like he was like a legit guy, right? He he, like, he was just the, didn't he own the store or no? Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I something like that. So I figured it, this might have been the same thing. I was like, I wonder if this is just like a, a dude that they found and they just got him to act. It. He was just oh, this, he's like a pest control guy. That's why he's all punchy and kind of weird. Yeah, yeah. like. Like smoking DDT his whole life. That's right. No, so he actually once Mo Curly and Larry left the vaudeville thing, he was one of the guys that like replaced them as the Stooges on stage. Whoa! So that's quite the act to follow, I would think. Hey, I'm here to tell you, you guys want to experience true horror? Watch an episode of The Three Stooges at about four o'clock in the morning. Start to think to yourself. <laughs> start to think to yourself. All the noises of all the people laughing and all the people making the noises are all dead people, okay? And then start to realize the lack of atmosphere in the sound and the foley. And it will it, – dude, it will give you a fucking panic attack. It's claustrophobic, honestly. <laughs> oh Three Stooges is some fucking high-brow, like, high-concept horror to me. Like, like the, the laughing is so scary, dude. Like, in the – like – the like, no, there's no air. Like they're not breathing oxygen in that universe. You don't hear any oxygen. All you hear is sound effects and like moments. They just come at you. There's just like auto ducking. It's weird. So he was obviously cast because of just his lineage. Out of respect, yeah, out of respect. Yeah. yeah. So that that's really cool because I I he jumped out at me when I saw him. He just was like, he just seemed like a really interesting character. Uh, and I wanted I was, to know more about him. I was a bit upset we didn't get much more of his his antics, you know? Yeah, yeah. I would have loved to see him because he doesn't actually, like, he just, because all he does is basically tell uh, Van Helsing uh, Van Helsing to just, like, basically go out and check, you know, check out the house. And that's basically it for him, right? Yeah, that's literally all it is. And... I'm- I'm not going to lie, though. I do like the way they flip the Van Helsing, like, uh, hero card on, on himself, you know? Like, well, that was a, a callback to him at the very end, like a post-credit scene of him, like, you know, back at the uh, exterminator. Oh, my God. You know, it's like talking shit. <laughs> so, did you get the bats out of the house? Yeah, bats, no, bats out of the belfry. Bats yeah. out of the belfry. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, Van Helsing, so... Um, they keep hearing the family at the house keeps hearing all these sounds and I'm, I'm not sure if they were doing it on purpose or not, but whatever it is, they, they blame it on owls. They hear like the son throws a monster out of his window and they hear all that. And it's like, damn owls. And I'm not, have y'all seen the uh, documentary, the staircase about the rich dude that fucking pushed his wife down the stairs and no. got away with it basically. And no. it's like, his whole, I mean, it's pretty obvious he fucking did it, but his whole explanation was an owl attacked her. At the, <laughs> so whenever I'm watching true crime owl. with my wife or something, I always ask why the owl's not being blamed. But so the owls are here, and so they call the exterminator. And um, <laughs> shit, there's even a scene where Paula Prentice is attacked by bats in the dude. Attic. Dude, when she's telling them stop owls, and she's getting shredded <laughs> by these fucking bats. She's getting murdered by these bats, and she's just like, oh owls. No, yeah, she keeps stop. calling them like, owls. Come on, owls. Come on, why owls? And her owls turn into owls. Uh, that's the type of movie this is. It's so bad. Like, uh, yeah. I mean, it's. I, oh, look, I love it. I think that if I had a ten-year-old kid that was like, I want to watch a scary movie, I'd be like, okay, here you go. I will say this though. <clears throat> I will say this. The mother's portrayal and like slow descent into like Psychosis? basically. It's, it's, it seems like she's just being possessed, you know, like her to sit into that. I thought was really kind of cool Dude, in this movie. Every time well, she was bitten by the she's, vampire. She's yeah. fucking. Yeah. Jeffrey Tambor gave her a little lip, little, uh, little, a little hick love. But dude, mm-hmm. I'm here to tell you, every time she's on screen, it's a whole different movie where she's like 
she thought she was cast in like the I'm Nosferatu too. You know, like, <laughs> she was Nosferatu really, as well. Actually. You know, like she she almost seemed like uh, the the uh, maybe a character that um, I forget her name, but the uh, the the mother in Chits Creek. Um, Moira? <laughs> yeah, Moira plays Moira. She, I could see her maybe calling on this woman, you know, like inspiration for her character because she is so passionate in this role and she is trying to like bring some like real authenticity. I could just feel it. Um, and I just, I, it was great. I loved it, man. No, that's, that's a good call. She, that is a Moira Rose thing right there. The way, she, like, the crowing, I think, is the movie yes, she does. Yes, yes. Oh, I love it. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so they uh, decide they got to get rid of these bats in the belfry. So they call the exterminator service. And you see, instead of, you know, the way you would picture a stereotypical exterminator, maybe like some coveralls or something. Nope, it's Van Helsing with the big beard, the, like, professor-looking suit and shit. And uh, Van Helsing is played by a fellow named Severn Darden, who uh, was a comic and whatnot. He had been in uh, Battle for the Planet of the Apes, Conquest of the Planet of the Apes. And he went on to be in um, Back to School and Real Genius. So um, some pretty cool movies. Uh, I was looking at some of the comedies he did, and it's kind of weird, like highbrow stuff. He's an original member of Chicago's Second City Improv Group. So, yeah. But, yeah, other than that, I mean, the people in this movie didn't do much after it. So I, I just don't have that much to say about it. Yeah, I'm just interested in, in seeing it, like how how this movie got pitched and how they finally, like, greenlit this. And, and, I, I think I, this is, a like, a birthday present to Julie Corman. Like, she's like, Roger, I've been wanting to do my own movie. And he's just like, look, babe, like it's just not the right time. And she's like, what? Saturday the fourteenth, it's time. And he was like, okay. And he gave her like her shot, you know, like. Well, no, she had already done movies. No, 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 that's what I'm saying. Like she was, she, she was just like, this is my turn again. And he was like, okay, you know, like, <laughs> sure, you can have Saturday the fourteenth, babe. Well, like I said, I mean, lots of these like horror parodies were coming out because right at that time between the seventies and eighties is when horror really just. Sorry, honestly, blowing up. Honestly, honestly, if I had like stick my dick at, out at you, money, I would probably buy the rights to this movie and remake it because it's primed for a fucking redo in the now. And you can and still have like, Jeffrey Tambor in dude, it, right? Honestly, uh, dude, exactly. What he could still be Waldemar, but he, I hear, hear me out. Hubie Halloween is oh, Saturday the fourteenth oh, is everything Hubie Halloween wasn't. And should have been with yeah, the monsters okay. and the schlockiness. If they had somehow, if they could make a hybrid of those two movies, I would say be the king of Halloween, like uh, dupes of that year. I, I still haven't seen that. that. We should do that as a, we, we need to really do it's, that. One. Oh dude, it's going to happen. It, uh, but, it couldn't cost that much. I, I mean, I saw, so when we picked this movie, as usual, the first thing I did, I got on Amazon. It's like, okay, let's see uh, if they got Blu-ray of this motherfucker. And they did. And it was a Scream Factory one. I was like, fuck yeah, I'm going to get all these commentaries, all this shit, get all this research. It has absolutely no features on it. It's literally just the goddamn movie. And what about any like um, any previous releases? Like, was this the first time it came to Blu-ray? I'm sure maybe like a DVD release years yeah, it, before. It had come out on DVD uh, before. Um, trying to see what company put it out but uh by new concord home entertainment in 2001 but that went out of print um it's just that's why when scream factory had it and that came out last year in 2019 scream factory usually does their discs up pretty yeah. good and um literally like i'm not even exaggerating no special features it's just the fucking movie there's there's probably more to this you know than well, dude, when I looked it up to to watch it online, it there was a 2019 entry in like the like versions I could view, and I was like, motherfucker, did someone beat me to this like remaking this piece of shit? And then I, it was the Scream Factory like edition or whatever, and I was like, yeah. oh, but there was I didn't I didn't dig into it to see if there was shit in there, but but Corey, you said did you mention that there was a sequel to this done? Yeah, in '88, right? And yeah. so has he, have you guys seen that one? No. Oh. 
I I might I watch know. it if like the next time that I eat mushrooms, I might watch it like the tail end of that trip. I just wonder, do we know if any of the if anyone reprised their roles? Yeah, is, is it like a no, all, the same actually, cast is all back? No, no cast came back, but like the entire crew did. I mean, okay. the same guy Howard Cohen wrote and directed it. Julie Corman produced it. I mean, it's I also uh, Scott Bayo, right? I do not know. <laughs> I just is joking. Scott Bayo in that fucking movie? <laughs> no, no, I just made that up. <laughs> I'm about to say we're about to do a double episode right now. So turn it on. No, we're not. No, we're not. This whole day, uh, what, what the lowest one we've had? I think what was it? Was it Candyman three? That was lower uh-huh. than um, Halloween lower than Resurrection. Resurrection. Yep, yep. So this one is a ten <laughs> on Ryan Tomato. <laughs> so that's the lowest there, right? I think that's the lowest. I think Candyman Day of the Dead was a 10 as well. Yeah, that was oh, a 10. Resurrection was Fucking 11. can. Yeah, so, so not okay. a good movie. I guess, um, uh, what would we, I guess, do we want to do ratings? I mean, I guess we should. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, so I, forward, I, so. Give, I give this movie five fucks. Uh, no, I don't give it any fucks. What do I okay? Books of the Dead? No. Um. Okay, wait, hold on. I give this two and a half Jeffrey Tambor's tucked penises. <laughs> okay, Corey. Um, I give this one Jeffrey Tambor tucked penis. It, um, I see what they're going at and. I think like one of the is this are you in a big dog suit again? That fucking line was ridiculous. <laughs> um, but some he of the lines got, I he think got stuck in Pluto felt, for two hours. <laughs> That's literally what they said. He 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 hid in Disneyland in Pluto yeah. for two hours. See shit like that I thought was funny as fuck. I'm not even sure if they meant that to be funny as fuck. So um thing, it's like I wonder how much of this is just kind of an like accidental um yeah. Humor and, and hilarity, but um Yeah, but fun. no, uh one tuck Jeffrey Tambor penis because um I've wanted to, I had never seen it before. I've heard about it. I mean it's been around as long as I've been alive. And uh I saw it and now I can move on with my life. And <laughs> never you don't have to do it again. Yep. <laughs> That's funny. Um I'm I'm more surprised just about this episode and in this movie because i had never known that this was such a pivotal movie in cody's like horror movie (laughs) you know like history i had no idea um he never mentioned it i'll tell you that growing up like you know we could have watched it but he never he never uh threw that out there this is a Uh, weird movie to like to to bring out on like a on like Spend them the night. Hey, you want to watch Saturday the 14th? <laughs> yeah. it, it, it sounds Dude, like come literally on. like I we went were watching blood sucking freaks and midgets throwing darts at naked ladies' asses. But, but that was actually good. But here's the weird thing it's like, it's kind of like I'm the kid who's trying to fit in too hard and I have like the Walmart brand grape soda. And I'm just like, you want some grape value, Mr. Grape? You know, like that's Saturday the 14th. People are like, oh, you like horror movies? Oh, I fucking love horror movies. You want to watch Saturday the 14th? And uh, also, Thunder. hello, fellow young children. I'm also a fellow young kid. You know, like the <laughs> Steve Buscemi meme. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that's <laughs> that's funny. Um, I'll tell you what. I'll give. I'm going to give this two out of five. Uh, Jeffrey Tambor tuck penises. Um, because I I thought, um, despite I think just kind of the silly, uh, you know, some of the silly dialogue that they, you know, the actors had to work with. I thought so the there was some cool. Uh, performances in this, you know, I, I thought they all kind of did their their characters uh, really well, um, and I think I, I think there is something to be said. There is some humor to this, and I think this movie does have a, a kind of a cool personality to it. So I don't think it was terrible. Um, I did laugh a, a, a couple times, and <laughs> I, I kind of enjoyed it. You know, like it, it is a bad movie. You could tell. You know, it's it, it wasn't didn't have the biggest budget or anything, but. It was. I, I did find it funny. Um, so yeah, two out of five. Um, but I'm never watching watch just to say you've seen it, if nothing else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's like it's if if you're just looking for just something that's kind of fun to watch, and you know, you don't really have to pay much attention to it. You can just kind of have it on in the background. 
Yeah, I, I perfect description. Could not find myself to pay it. I couldn't force myself to pay attention. Yeah, yeah. So I was watching this with my laptop, doing some research, trying to just get some like context for how this movie was made mm-hmm. to see if that helped make it, you know, make more sense. But yeah, you don't have to pay attention to this, and you're not going to miss much. I mean, I, I watched this movie while while mixing a commercial, a national TV commercial today. <laughs> I watched this movie on my iPad at the same time. We saw him doing it. He and, was telling uh, the truth. But dude, it like I, I just like I said, I love this movie and I think it's like a perfect junk food background. You can throw it on. It's not gonna offend anyone. And and now that you've mentioned the the Howard Cohen a life well lived, by the way. Uh, yeah. But but the the how the Playboy joke editor thing, it really makes sense now to like every quip and every like comedic punchline of the movie is perfectly like a 60s ad man like right yeah it's amazing no that that, i mean it is i mean and we think of all these like horror movie parodies that we've seen like scary movie and whatnot but this is a1 and they're still just kind of trying to figure out i mean i wonder i know i mentioned like four or five other ones that are coming out but had they done straight up parody before I, i think they probably have but just as far as the slasher goes, which it really isn't, it's more of a parody of the old like haunted house universal right, monster yeah. type movies. So I, I don't know. I'm just rambling now. Yeah, no, no I think this this movie is pretty cool. Uh, I, I think I do think it's it's worth a watch if if you're if you're a horror fan. Um, I think you know you definitely should give this a watch at some point. In your, I, you know, I think Corey, I think you're onto something about the uniqueness of that because. What a movie to get greenlit in a time of slashers being king, you know, the the early eighties. Yeah. Coming off that late seventies like like bump. You know, it's like what a movie to get greenlit is a movie that is a old fashioned like monster haunted house movie, you know, like kind of. Yeah. But that's yeah. <clears throat> cool. But, so nah, it it was fun as a little change of pace for us here at Bloodsucking Geeks. I don't know that we've necessarily done anything that was a uh, comedy yet, so at least intentionally. Yep. So, um, yeah, I think that's going to do it. Uh, I guess do, do we, what should, could, could we talk about what we're doing next? Is that, have we finalized that? Or are we, still uh, it's your pick, man. I want to do munchies. Munchies. I'm eating right I've, now. I've, I've never actually seen this movie. Um, but, it looks awesome, and it was. It actually has a tie to Saturday uh, the 14th because it's produced by Roger Corman, um, and who is the the husband of uh, what was her name? Julie Corman. Julie. Julie. Thank you. Uh, and so yeah, yeah. This movie is produced by Julie Corman's husband. That's yep. right. Exactly. So we have that. Uh, at we least that. Female vice Maybe president. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah um i've never seen it though so hopefully no, i haven't either it'll be a first for all of us i think mm-hmm. yeah that'll oh, be, yeah. That'll be good. uh if any of y'all out there have any memories or anything be sure to post something in the facebook group and uh because this is going to be new territory for all of us that's I'm right sure we'll, i'm sure we'll end up talking a, a fair amount about ghoulies and critters and uh you know that those other movies with like the same kind of like genre film stuff right it's basically uh, like, post- like gremlins ripoffs yeah po- i would say like post gremlins is, is basically like no, uh, it's created its whole subgenre of yeah. horror but yeah no this is one that I, i've never seen before i've always kind of wanted to and so uh it'll it'll be a fun one so yeah if, if you've seen it uh like Corey said please let us know what you think and uh and yeah well, i think that's gonna do it for this week's episode Indeed, we're recovering from Halloween, so we're not going to uh, go too crazy this week. Yeah, yeah. Kept it safe. But no, it was fun. So that's it. Stay safe, and we'll see you next time. Ta-ta! It gets bad on Friday the 13th. But it gets worse on Saturday the 14th. The Book of Evil! Evil? Evil. Richard Benjamin, Paula Prentice. We've inherited a house 
with a curse. Oh, come on, Mary. You know you don't believe in curses. Well, somebody did the dishes, and we're the only ones in this house. An innocent family driven absolutely batty. Just when you thought it was safe to look at the calendar again comes Saturday the 14th. The year's number one horror comedy spoof. God, look at all these owls. My name is John Hyatt, and I've got bats in my belfry. You know how many? We're charged by the bat. Hold it right there, man. No, no, darling, keep it away. No, thank you very much. I'd like to take a look at her neck. Well, if you don't trust me after 311 years of marriage... When I leave this house, there'll be nothing left here to be afraid of. Every shroud has a silver lining. So if you see every other chiller this year, you'll need Saturday the 14th. Well, this must be a charming wife. <coughs> Famine. War. Major pest control. Dead! It's your chance to laugh at everything that ever scared you. Come on, Billy. Quit fooling around. Oh, let me just see who that is. I'll be back for that kiss. Be sure to see it before sunrise. Saturday the 14th.